your host, Jessica Fernando, and this is One Weird Chick. The Northern Territory is one of the seven states of Australia. It is also home to one of the world's largest monoliths. Formerly known as Ayers Rock, Uluru is more than 550 million years old and towers over the surrounding landscape at 348 metres high. Home to the Arangu, an Australian Aboriginal tribe, the word Uluru literally translates to Great Pebble. The Arangu people place great cultural significance on this rock, which changes colour throughout the day, most notably when it glows red during sunrise and sunset. The Arangu people give tours of the site and tell visitors dreamtime stories that explain how Aboriginals created their existence at Uluru. Hundreds of thousands of visitors travel from all over the world to hike the monolith, where they report that the view from the top is second to none. Despite no longer being able to climb the rock itself, Uluru still remains a favourite spot amongst locals and tourists alike, who enjoy the respite of local camping grounds. That is, save for one Australian family whose vacation ended in tragedy in the early 1980s. Born March 4, 1948, Alice Lynn Murchison, Lindy, as she would later come to be known, was only 20 months old when her family moved from New Zealand to Australia. Her father worked as a pastor for the Seventh-day Adventist Church and often travelled depending on the needs of the community. During the time our story takes place, some condemn the church's core beliefs as radical and controversial. According to their website, quote, the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to enhance the quality of life for people everywhere and to let them know that Jesus is coming again soon, end quote. On November 18th, 1969, at the age of 21, Lindy married Michael Chamberlain. Like Lindy's father, Michael was also a pastor for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The couple moved to Tasmania, where they welcomed their first child, Aidan, on October 2nd of 1973. In the years that followed, Lindy and Michael continued to travel as Michael's work demanded. In 1976, the couple welcomed their second baby, a boy named Regan. Michael and Lindy eventually settled down in the town of Mount Isa in the Northern Territory, and in 1980, Lindy gave birth to a beautiful baby girl named Azaria. Azaria was just nine weeks old when the Chamberlains decided to vacation at a local camping ground near Uluru. The Chamberlains arrived late on the night of August 16th at the Uluru campgrounds. The next morning, Michael and the two boys climbed portions of the rock. In an interview with a local news station later on, Lindy would be quoted as saying, I brought Azaria up here with the boys, and while we are sitting here waiting for Michael taking shots of the paintings in the cave, 
and a bus full of tourists pulled up. I was just talking to the tourists and sent something watching us. I looked up and saw the dingo, and I spoke to the people beside me and said, look what's watching us. And despite the fact of their movement, Enrigan, in order to see the dingo, was talking and calling out. The animal seemed to fix its eye on me and the baby the whole time. For my international listeners who may not be familiar with the Australian mammal, a dingo is defined by the Encyclopedia Britannica as, quote, a member of the canine family native to Australia. Most authorities regard dingoes as a subspecies of the wolf. However, some authorities consider dingoes to be their own species. Similar to the domestic dog in structure and habits, the dingo has short, soft fur, a bushy tail, and erect, pointed ears. It is about 120 centimeters, 48 inches, long, including the 30 centimeters, 12 inches tail, and stands about 60 centimeters, 24 inches, tall at the shoulders, end quote. In the early 1980s, very little was known about the species. Since they look similar to domesticated dogs, people typically treated them as such. In actual fact, dingoes possess a lean, hardy body adapted for speed, agility, and stamina. They are Australia's largest meat eaters and hunt any kind of animal. The dingo is a generalist predator and will search widely for food and eat whatever it finds. Prior to the Chamberlain's visit to Uluru, there had been previous reports of dingo attacks in the area. More than two weeks before, Derek Roth, the chief ranger of Uluru, wrote to the Northern Territory government of dingoes that were attacking people at the campgrounds. In the most terrifying example of foreshadowing I have ever heard of, Roth's letter read, quote, If we are not careful, babies will be their next prey. End quote. In fact, the night before the Chamberlains had arrived, Judith West and her husband were vacationing at Uluru with their 12-year-old daughter, Catherine. While Catherine was sitting outside of the West's tent, a dingo approached and began to circle her. She was bitten on the elbow before her family was able to intervene. Dingo sightings had been reported throughout the evening, but since they were common to the area, no one took much notice until later when they were asked to recount the evening. At sunset, after a full day of hiking Uluru, the Chamberlain family gathered with other campers around the barbecues and settled in for the evening. Lindy held Azaria in her arms as she and Michael chatted with Greg and Sally Lowe, another vacationing couple. During that evening, Michael had entertained Aiden by tossing a crust of bread to a dingo that appeared near the barbecue area. Shortly before 8pm, 
Sally Lowe walked to a trash can to dispose of leftovers when she noticed a dingo following four or five paces behind her. As dingoes are typically scavengers, she most likely assumed it was wanting an opportunity to get a hold of the leftovers. The campers would eventually explain to police they heard a loud growl of a dingo during the evening. At approximately 8pm, Lindy announced, quote, It's time I put Bubby down, end quote, and went into the tent to put Azaria in her carrier for the night, next to her sleeping brother Regan. Ten minutes later, Lindy rejoined the rest of the campers by the barbecue. A baby's cry from the direction of the tent soon sent Lindy racing back to investigate. Then came her now iconic cry, quote, My God, my God, the dingoes got my baby, end quote. The police were immediately called to the scene. Lindy explained that when she went to check Azaria after she heard crying, she saw a dingo backing out of the tent. She did not see the dingo's head, as it was presumably still inside the tent. In addition, nightfall also made it difficult to see clearly. As she approached, the dingo fled into the night. Lindy quickly entered the tent to check on her children and discovered blood on the floor, mattress, blankets, and an empty baby carrier. Azaria was nowhere to be seen. Frank Morris was the first officer to arrive on the scene. Morris failed to preserve or document the crime scene, which resulted in catastrophic repercussions for the Chamberlains in the months that followed. Aboriginal trackers were quick to join the search and followed dingo tracks from the tent to a nearby highway, where the trail disappeared. They discovered two shallow depressions along the route, indicating that a dingo may have rested for a moment or two after dragging something heavy, presumably a baby. Allegedly, a dark substance, thought to have been blood, was found in one of these depressions, as well as the imprint of a knitted garment. According to Lindy, when Azaria was taken, she had been wearing a nappy, a diaper, booties, a singlet, a jumpsuit, and, most famously, a knitted white and yellow matinee jacket, an item of clothing similar to that of a cardigan that was popular in the 1980s in Australia. Three additional officers were brought onto the case within the first 24 hours after Azaria went missing. They set up their base at the nearby Red Sands Motel where they discussed the case. While some believed the Chamberlain's recount of the day's events, others didn't. Despite the recent accounts of dingo attacks in the area, Detective Sergeant John Lincoln refused to believe the Chamberlain's story. He argued that the dingoes were typically shy and demure by nature. Simply put, 
He could not seem to grasp the idea that a dingo could have carried a 10-pound baby off into the wilderness. The search for Azaria continued, despite his doubts. On August 24, 1980, seven days after Azaria went missing, hiker Wally Goodwin and his wife Margot stumbled upon a baby suit, booties, nappy, and singlet while climbing Uluru. These items were found more than three miles away from the campground that the Chamberlains had stayed at. The singlet was found inside out, inside of the jumpsuit, and the nappy had been found torn to shreds. There was no sign of the matinee jacket. Frank Morris, the first officer to respond initially, was again the first on the scene. When Goodwin took Morris to the scene, Morris picked up the clothing to investigate it, ungloved. Realizing his error, he quickly replaced the clothing the way it was found. At the time, the police camera was not working, so Morris called in a professional photographer to photograph the scene. Wally Goodwin was later called to testify in court and asked to look at the photographs and confirm whether or not they were a true representation of how he found the clothing. Wally stated, quote, none of these photographs show how the clothing was found, end quote. When he was asked to clarify what he meant, he stated, quote, the first thing Constable Morris did was pick them up, end quote. Goodwin was then informed that Officer Morris had denied ever touching the clothing. When the clothing was first discovered, the Chamberlains were not even notified. In the documentary, Lindy Chamberlain, The True Story, Lindy explains through her tears, quote, the police could have easily told us the clothes had been found, but no, we learn off of the news. And so I raced out, my first view was on the news of some guy sitting there with no gloves on, handling the clothes, fiddling with them." End quote. Upon forensic investigation, it was discovered that bloodstains were found on the upper part of the jumpsuit, as well as jagged perforation on the left sleeve. In addition, there was a V-shaped slice on the right collar of the jumpsuit. During this time, the media caught wind of Azaria's disappearance, and the family's suffering took an even darker turn. The public was quick to pull apart the Chamberlain's story, with some even claiming that the family was part of a cult whose practices involved child sacrifice. Close friends even began to sell their stories and theories to the tabloids, even going so far as to claim that the Chamberlains only ever dressed Azaria in black, which supposedly confirmed their cult practices. Passerbys would relentlessly honk their car horns and yell as they passed the Chamberlain family home. Everything the Chamberlains did came under the scrutiny of the media, and in turn, the public. Armchair detectives were quick to claim that the name Azaria meant sacrifice in the wilderness, which is allegedly what the Chamberlains had done. 
in actual fact, the name Azaria as a girl's name is of Hebrew origin and means blessed by God. Given the Chamberlain's close ties to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, it seemed fitting that they would choose a religious-based name for their daughter. There was even another rumor in which people claimed that the eldest Chamberlain boy, Aidan, had accidentally murdered his baby sister, and Lindy and Michael were covering up what had happened. It just got worse and worse for the Chamberlains as the days turned into weeks and the weeks turned into months. Letters began arriving at the Chamberlain residence. Some were in support of Lindy and offered words of encouragement. Others were a little more sinister. Quote, Lindy, you should be hung up to the nearest tree. 99.5% of the people know you are guilty. Murder, murder. You killed the baby because it wasn't normal. Your husband should divorce you and get a good woman as his wife and not a murderer. If you did not kill your baby, then your son did." End quote. Despite everything the media and the public put them through, the Chamberlains continued to cooperate with police and speak out about their experience while they continued to search for their daughter. Lindy came under criticism when she spoke out in an interview about the dangers associated with dingoes. She was accused of appearing, quote, calculated and unemotional, end quote. Dr. Ken Crisson, QC, head of the Chamberlain legal team, even stated, quote, I have to say, when I first saw the interview, I was a bit concerned by the apparent attitude too, but at the Royal Commission, we were able to get a hold of the full tape recordings, including all of the tapes, and were able to see the process unfold. It began with the journalist saying, Mrs. Chamberlain, what happened to your baby? And she began to answer and choked up in distress and burst into tears. They said, take two, start again. Miss Chamberlain, what happened to your baby? She got a little bit further and choked up again, and they said, Look, Lindy, if you're going to get your message out there, you are going to have to control yourself. Now try again and get your emotions under control. What actually went to air was take number seven. End quote. On October 1st, Lindy, Michael, Aidan, and Regan all gave their police statements. In December, an inquest into Azaria's disappearance commenced, concluding several months later. According to the website lindychamberlain.com, on February 20th, 1981, quote, Alice Springs coroner, Dennis Barrett, found that a wild dog or dingo took Azaria, that no member of the Chamberlain family was responsible for her death but there was interference with the clothing by a person or persons unknown." End quote. In essence, Barrett claimed that a dingo was responsible for taking Azaria, but a person or a group of people were responsible for disposing of her body. Azaria's body had still not been found, leading some to wonder how the coroner came to this conclusion as he had no evidence to base it on, 
other than the clothes that were found. Barrett delivered his findings on Australian television. He hoped that it would help provide the Chamberlains with closure, as well as put an end to the rumours that had been developing. It was the first time ever that an inquest had been broadcast in Australian history. In addition to providing the results of the inquest, Barrett criticised the local government, claiming that they failed to provide police with the necessary resources to carry out a full investigation. In an attempt to take the heat off them as a result of Barrett's accusations, the police force and local government banded together to form a new task force. Operation Okra was developed with the sole purpose of reopening and reinvestigating Azaria's disappearance and to prove that Lindy was guilty of murder. Operation Okra argued that when Lindsay left to check on her daughter, she took Azaria to the family car and slit her throat with a pair of scissors. They believed that the V-shaped cut on the collar of the jumpsuit confirmed this theory. They alleged that Lindy then used the camera bag to hide Azaria's body overnight before burying her and scattering her clothes to confuse the investigation. They also argued that the missing matinee jacket was a ploy Lindy used to throw off the investigation and never existed in the first place. To aid them in proving this theory, the task force raided the Chamberlain's home and seized boxes upon boxes of their belongings. In the documentary, Lindy Chamberlain, The True Story, Lindy says she was unaware that the police were looking for evidence to support their theory that she had murdered Azaria. The Chamberlains were about to leave for church when they were greeted by an officer at the door with a search warrant. Lindy admits that she was so thrown by the unexpected search that the officer put the warrant away before she had a chance to read it. In fact, if she had taken a moment to review the warrant, she would have realized that she was under suspicion for murder. The media arrived at the Chamberlain's house before the search had even been completed by the police. News helicopters flew overhead and cars, vans, and trucks all camped out in a vacant block across the street. At the same time as the Chamberlain's house was being raided, the eyewitnesses from the campgrounds all received a knock at the door. Operation Okra re-interviewed all of the original witnesses, but not one person changed their account of what happened that night. According to the documentary Lindy Chamberlain, A True Story, the eyewitnesses were then guided to answer questions in a way that would support the operation's pursuit of a murder conviction for Lindy. When Sally Lowe was questioned about hearing Azarius cry, she states, quote, Various things were suggested to me that could have been the cry. In fact, everything was suggested to me except that it was a baby's cry." End quote. Operation Okra even accused Catherine West, the 12-year-old girl who was bitten by a dingo, of fabricating her story. 
under pressure, she submitted a retraction of her earlier statement, replacing it with a new one, now claiming she made the whole event up. The Chamberlain family car had been seized during the raid. Previous forensic testing had been done on the car and had found no evidence of foul play. However, the second series of forensic tests taken after the car was seized told a different story. The tests concluded that blood splatter was found on the floor, the center console, and underneath the dashboard of the vehicle. Azaria's jumpsuit was also retested. The forensic analyst now found a liquid that was 25% fetal hemoglobin. Fetal hemoglobin is a protein found in a human fetus during the early stages of development. It can be found in any kind of liquid, such as blood, spit-up, saliva, and other liquids traditionally associated with newborns. From these findings, the analyst concluded that Azaria had been murdered in the car, leaving traces of fetal hemoglobin behind. The camera case that Lindy allegedly used to hide Azaria's body was also tested, and the presence of fetal hemoglobin was found on the zipper. The analyst concluded that the cuts found on Azaria's jumpsuit had been made by a human using scissors and not a dingo. They alleged that Azaria's clothes had been buried and then dug up and staged shortly after her death. To support the theory that a human was involved instead of a dingo, the prosecution brought in Kevin Brown, a dentist who gave evidence supported by his work with dingoes at the Adelaide Zoo in South Australia. He alleged that a dingo in no way could be responsible for taking Azaria. To prove his point, Brown conducted an experiment wherein he dampened a singlet similar to the one Azaria wore fixed a 10-pound weight to it, and then hung it off the eye tooth of a skull of a dingo he had in his possession to see if he could replicate the markings. When Brown shared his research, the courtroom burst into laughter at his poor experimentation, as he hadn't even taken into account the muscle structure or the strength of a dingo. Regardless of the shoddy research presented in court by Brown, on November 20th, 1981, the Supreme Court dismissed the original ruling of the first inquest and ordered a second one. On February 2nd, 1982, Lindy Chamberlain was officially charged with murder. Michael Chamberlain was charged as an accessory after the fact. Bail was set at $5,000 each, as well as an additional $5,000 for a surety bond. But it wouldn't be until September 13, 1982, that the trial would officially commence. While they waited for their day in court, Lindy discovered that she was pregnant. In the documentary Lindy Chamberlain, The True Story, Lindy shares that she was overwhelmed to find out that she was pregnant with another baby girl. 
The couple decided to keep the news of the gender of their baby a secret for as long as they can, concerned of how the media might react. Proceeded over by Judge Justice James Muirhead, the Chamberlain trial quickly became known to the Australian people as the trial of the century. Over the span of the trial, the defence called witnesses to the stand, all of whom corroborated the Chamberlain story. They all confirmed that Lindy had put Azaria down to bed at approximately 8pm and then returned to the barbecue area mere minutes later. Camper Sally Lowe even confirmed that she heard Azaria cry at approximately 8.10pm. That was followed by Lindy going into the tent to check on her. In addition, another camper testified that they heard a loud growling coming from the direction of the tent. The defense provided photographic evidence of dingo tracks and paw prints at the campsite and in the tent. They also revealed that dingo hair had been found in the tent as well as on Azaria's jumpsuit. The prosecution's main argument was that they felt a dingo would not be capable of carrying a 10-pound baby from the campsite. They claimed the jaw of the animal was not strong enough to support the amount of weight. The defense, however, provided evidence to the contrary. They stated if the dingo had taken Azaria by the head rather than the scruff of her jumpsuit, it would have been able to carry her a substantial distance. When Lindy took the stand, the prosecution asked her to explain how Azaria's jumpsuit lacked the presence of dingo saliva. After all, if a dingo did take her, trace evidence of saliva should be present. Lindy would find herself repeating over and over again that Azaria had been wearing a matinee jacket over her jumpsuit on the night that she had disappeared. She argued that the jacket may have prevented the spread of saliva to the jumpsuit. Since it was yet to be recovered, the prosecution accused Lindsay of lying and claimed that no such jacket ever existed. On the 29th of October, 1982, one year and nine months since Azaria first disappeared, Lindy Chamberlain was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in jail with hard labor and without the possibility of parole. Michael Chamberlain was also found guilty but received an 18-month suspended sentence so he could look after the couple's children, Regan and Aidan. Despite being behind bars, Lindy continued to be the top story of the Australian media for months that followed her incarceration. It seemed as though Australians were truly split between her innocence and her alleged guilt. Despite everything the media put Lindy through, she refused to crack under pressure. In the documentary, Lindy Chamberlain, The True Story, Lindy describes the sense that she was damned if she did and damned if she didn't. During her trial, she was, quote, hit on several occasions in the face with the big camera, but then 
you have to keep on smiling and pretend it didn't happen. Because if you smile and act normal, well, you're very hard-hearted. And if you cry, you're acting. End quote. The media even went so far as to criticize Lindy's outfit choices when she wore them to trial. Because she wore makeup and fashionable clothing, she was viewed as insensitive. They believed if she really was the grieving mother like she claimed to be, then she shouldn't have time to focus on her appearance. On November 17, 1982, just a month after her sentence was handed down, Lindy gave birth to a baby girl who she and Michael named Kalia. Lindy was denied her request to keep Kalia with her while she was incarcerated. At six months old, Kalia was sent to live with Wayne and Jenny Miller, close friends of the Chamberlains. On March 29, 1983, Lindy's first appeal to have her sentence overturned was unanimously rejected by the federal court. In July of 1984, the courts officially changed Azaria's cause of death to reflect Lindy's sentence. Instead of the death certificate stating that the cause of death was extensive crushing to the head and neck, it now read that the cause of death was due to extensive wounding of the neck. This is how the official cause of death would remain until January 30th, 1986. A British backpacker named David Brett was hiking Uluru when he fell to his death. Local police searched for his body for eight days. During their search, they came across an article of clothing, an item that would turn Lindy's case upside down. A small, white and yellow knitted matinee jacket, half buried near a dingo's lair on the face of Uluru. When I first decided to investigate this case, I had no idea of the rabbit hole I was about to fall down. We are only just beginning to scrape the surface of the Chamberlain story. So, for the first time ever in One Weird Chick history, I invite you to join me next time for part two of Close to Home, the Lindy Chamberlain story. Thank you for joining me for another episode of One Weird Chick. I'm your host, Jessica Fernando, and until next time, stay spooky. This episode of One Weird Chick was written, produced, and edited by Jessica Fernando. Today's story was edited by Bethany Dickens Asaf. One Weird Chick's opening theme was created by Brielle Johnson and logo was designed by Lauren Adams. Follow One Weird Chick on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn for more. <laughs>